Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Sapphire shared there's like such a significance that's drawn from our relationships. So so much of who we are comes from who we're with and a sense of belonging. And I think that um, this deep fear of insignificance shows up in a bunch of ways in our, our lives. But there, there's a deep fear in me, and I, I would go ahead and suggest that there's a deep fear in you that you're going to come and go and not worth caring about. Uh, this is why we um, crave attention and desire things like fame. Um, when, when someone forgets our name or when a friend forgets to call, it affirms our deepest fear, our fear of insignificance. This is why we, this is why, this, this deep fear of insignificance is why we name drop in conversations. Oh, it's just with so-and-so, you know. Our deep fear of insignificance is why we wear collard greens and put our diplomas up on our walls. Our deep fear is probably behind the letterman's jacket as well. We want to have an impact. We want to be noticed. We desire attention. And this is universal. No one's too cool for this this morning. We all want attention. We all want to know Um, we derive significance and, and meaning from what we do. So we talk a lot about what we do. Um, we derive a lot of significance from who we're with. So we talk a lot about who we're with. We derive significance from what we wear. And it all comes from this desire that our lives would matter, that we would have an impact. We, we all desire this morning our lives to have like a lasting impact. We all share a pretty deep fear as well. And today, as we as we dig into Philippians chapter three, um, Paul is going to be talking to us about living a life that actually matters, a life that actually has an impact. A life where we're uh, maturing life where there's progress in our walk with Christ. And I think that's a, as, as I read this week, I found myself thinking, that's really all I want. I don't find myself thinking about perfection too often. I find myself thinking about progress. I just don't want to be in the same spot. Just to know that we're moving forward with Christ, that we're not the same person today that we were yesterday. That's what we're longing for. Not a perfection, but a progress. We want to mature. We want to grow. 
want to take steps, we want to take strides. We want to know that by this time next year, we're not in the same spot that we were the year before. And that's why it's so disappointing when something shows up in our lives and reveals to us that we're in the exact same spot that we were when we were 18. Why is that so crushing? Why is it the worst when you get into that argument with your wife again? The same one you've been having for 25 years, you know? It's like that one again? Have we not progressed beyond this? Are we still going to say these same things and go to bed in the same way? It's crushing to know that it's the same things that we're dealing with again. I would take, I, I like actually new problems. I just don't want the same old problems in my face again, you know? There's something refreshing about something new, that even when it comes to my sin or the problems that I have, I can write. It's probably the truth for you too. It's like you, I, I, everyone here is like, you're here because you want to learn. You're here because you want to grow. You're here because you want to be transformed. Um, and, and, and every one of us is wrestling with our desires because how many of you know you have conflicting desires inside you? You want to learn, but then you don't want to be told what to do. Just like last night, I was thinking, like, I want to lose weight and I want to go to bed on my little fruit loops. It was like <laughs> conflicting. You know, there's like a war inside of me. I don't know what I want more. <laughs> and the answer is Fruit Loops, for sure. <laughs> for sure, Fruit Loops. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I just want to say that to say that sometimes maybe we don't desire what we say we desire. And that would suggest that we don't value what we say we The Holy Spirit uh, is going to talk to us through Paul today about the mindset we have to have in order to progress. I just, I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to become more like him. And I know that's the truth for you too, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But we also have some conflicting desires, right? Like I also, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what he says. And then I also want to be comfortable. And then at a certain point, these desires, they it's like a Sesame Street moment. One of these doesn't belong here. One of these doesn't fit into this plan, you know? I want to follow Jesus, but I so badly want to be right. And following him means confessing my sin and apologizing. I think what I really want is to be right right now. I don't really, I mean, I say, if you ask me, I would say what I want is Jesus and what I want is to follow him. But there's also some other desires that I'm wrestling with and that you're wrestling with. Paul had this mindset, and, and it says that, he says those that are mature think this way in this passage in, in Philippians, and there's like, a, there's like an outlook we need to have in order to have this outcome that we desire. And I want to look into the way Paul thought about his Christian walk, about uh, following and pursuing Jesus Christ. We'll start in verse 7 of chapter 3. This is one of the most probably famous texts in the whole Bible. I, 
subscribe to the adoption video, and then I'm going to listen to my snot for the rest of this day. <laughs> All right, but whatever gain I had, if you remember uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Paul's resume. Pretty impressive. It was a lot that he had. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to whatever we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We've got to get through the book of Philippians in 12 weeks. We actually only have three weeks left, and so I have to get through this whole chunk of Scripture today. So I want to apologize ahead of time, because there's no way to do this justice in a, in a few minutes on Sunday morning. 15 minutes on Sunday morning. Oh my goodness. Uh, Paul speaks of salvation in this passage in three terms, and these are three huge terms for the Christian. He talks about justification. Um, which we actually talked about two weeks ago. Our right standing with God is not the result of anything we've done or haven't done. It's the result of a gift that he's given us. His righteousness through our faith is what we now stand before God uh, clothed in. So this is justification. How will we stand before a holy God? We've been justified by Jesus Christ. He's made a place for us before the Father Paul goes on at the very end of this to talk about glorification. And he says, uh, in the future, we'll actually be glorified. Um, what does he say? He says, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. 
there is for the Christian the promise of glorification. So the bookends of salvation are justification before God and glorification at the very end. But in the middle, there's sanctification. Justification and glorification are a gift from God. Sanctification is exhausting. You can't do anything, Paul says, to justify yourself before God. And I, you can't do anything to glorify your body. I mean, maybe you can't. I don't know. But I'm guessing you can't. But sanctification is this process in between where we cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit, to mature and to grow up into Christ. And sanctification is work. How many of you are experiencing sanctification in your life and you're going like, man, this is work right now. This is hard. I got to repent again? I just did that, you know? We just talked about pride and humility last week. I didn't even process that. I don't have time to chew my food in this church, you know? And this is work. I'm going to talk actually mostly this morning about sanctification, how we cooperate with Jesus in this process of salvation. Again, you're justified before God, not based on anything you've done or not done. Paul talks about that. And we'll be glorified one day. Those are the bookends in between. Uh, you work. You work with God. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that works in us. So we're going to pick up that theme of, of uh, sanctification. And Paul, he uses a bunch of illustrations. If you've read uh, the New Testament, you know that Paul is always using illustrations to explain to us the Christian life. He uses things like agriculture. Uh, he uses athletics, and he'll be using athletics again today, talking about the Christian life, what it looks like to live it. Um, if you're going to mature, says Paul, if you're going to grow, if you're going to win this race, there's some things that you need. If you're going to progress, there's some things that you need. If you're going to cooperate with God in sanctification in your life, there's some things that you need. And the thing, um, the thing that I noticed, and I, I started to read this passage thinking, um, there can't be progress in your life without these things. Paul talks about it, but there can't be progress in your life. I know you want to walk forward. I know you want to take strides. I know you want to grow. I know you want to mature. I know you want to be more like Jesus, just like Paul wants to be more like Jesus. But you can't progress unless you do these things. That was awesome. As a preacher, you as a preacher, you try you spend your whole week trying to come up with little sayings that you could put on a shirt or a coffee mug or on a calendar. And you can't progress unless is one of those. <laughs> I've told you this before, but I always leave church and I end up watching television when I get home and I'll watch T.D. Jakes preach and it's just depressing. <laughs> People dance as a result of his sermon. Not the music. The music didn't get him going. He's preaching and he's got these little sayings, these little calendar quotes. All of a sudden, some lady is dancing. My preaching has never brought anyone to dancing. But you cannot progress unless... You have to have some... You, you have to have... 
you have to have some sense of dissatisfaction. If you're going to progress, if you're going to grow, if you're going to mature, if you're going to pursue Christ, you have to have a dissatisfaction. And I talked about it two weeks ago, but there's angst in Paul's voice here. He's frustrated. There is an angst-filled yearning inside of him. He's tormented. I've got to know Christ. I'm completely dissatisfied with all these things. That term has been sanitized to mean rubbish. It's excrement. It's crap. He's saying, the scholar Paul, the genius Paul, is saying this is crap compared to knowing Christ. He's completely dissatisfied with all the incredible things that he's worked so hard for. And you can't grow unless there's some sense of a divine dissatisfaction. It's essential for spiritual progress. This is crazy to me. Paul's completely unsatisfied with his knowledge of God. I still don't understand the book of Romans. And he wrote it. And he's like, I, I, I'm totally unsatisfied with my knowledge of Christ. Unreal. Apostle to the Gentiles. If Paul were here speaking this morning, the Apostle Paul, not Paul. You know, and, and he had a book table. The only book would be on, that would be on it was your Bible. And you're like, yeah, and if you guys want to pick up my book, it's at the back table. It's the Bible. <laughs> I wrote it, you know? I can't. He's been a Christian for 30 years. He's planted churches. We're still talking today about what he said. And he's completely frustrated with, with, with his spiritual life. Like, i, I got to have more. This, this, like, freaks me out. Why are we so satisfied with what we know? Why does it seem like the guys who know him best are so tormented? Well, we're completely satisfied. You can't go forward. There will be no spiritual progress in your life unless there's some serious dissatisfaction. I don't like what I've got. I need more. If you don't have that, you're not going to take strides. You're not going to mature. Paul, his life is marked by this torment. Not just Paul, because we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, Christians, not just biblical Christians, but Christians in history have been marked by the same, uh, like, I mean, I would call it violence. It is completely frustrating. David. David's knowledge of God is unparalleled in the Old Testament. I sometimes, when I'm reading the Psalms, have to remind myself that this guy is living before Jesus. Unparalleled knowledge of God and his character, his, his, his attributes. And then he writes, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land, running out of water where there is no... Where there, sorry, and land running out where there is no water. Sorry. There's an angst-filled yearning inside of David. A torment, a frustration. Like he's not okay with what he knows about God. Paul is unsatisfied with his maturity. I would say 
for one reason. Paul's unsatisfied with his maturity because his eyes are on Jesus Christ. If he would have been comparing himself to other people, he probably would have felt really good about where he's at. He was leading the charge. But he wasn't comparing himself to others. And I think that's what happens for us. We're satisfied with where we're at spiritually because we're comparing ourselves to the people next to us rather than looking to Christ. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the one that we're striving towards. Jesus is the prize. Oh, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this guy sitting next to me. I feel so good about my spiritual walk. He looks so disheveled. And his kids came in late. You know, it's like we feel good about ourselves based on comparing ourselves to others. Paul, Paul he won't have anything to do with that. He could have very easily said, my knowledge of God is unparalleled. 2,000 years from now, they'll still be trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. But he doesn't. He's looking to Jesus. He's comparing himself to Jesus. And he's unsatisfied with where he's at spiritually. Because he's not comparing himself to others, he's comparing himself to Jesus. Athletes, um, since Paul's using this idea of athletics, I subject my life to large amounts of sports center. And, and she doesn't like sports center, but there's one thing in particular that she doesn't like about sports center. It's like the interviews with a player or a coach because they're so generic. And she's like, seriously, are people like gathered around this guy writing this down as he says, it was a good game, we could have done better. You know, it's just, it's always real general. You know what I'm saying? These interviews with these athletes, they never come out and say, I, I was amazing today. I had like the best game of my life. They always say something real generic, like, you know, the team, the team went all in today and we got the W. It's the same interview over and over again. And Tiffany gets really frustrated she has to listen to some coach go, you know, there's some things that we could have done better. And no one actually says what they're really thinking. They, they give a bunch of generic pat answers like, you know, this is a team sport. You know, we worked hard. We put the practice in all week and it paid off today. You know, it's all these really cheesy, you know, lines. And, and what's, what's interesting about those interviews is that they're never satisfied. Even when they get the W, they walk away, and at the press conference, they're saying things like, there were some missed opportunities that we had. There's room for us to improve on both sides of the ball. They're never talking about the 90% that went right or the win that they got. They're always talking about the missed opportunities. They're completely unsatisfied even when they get the win. It's like, you know, we're going to look at the tapes. We're going to deal with the issues that we had because there's opportunities for us to get better. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your spiritual life? Are you satisfied at work? Are you satisfied in marriage? Are you satisfied in your friendships? You will not grow if you're satisfied in those areas. Dissatisfaction, a divine discontent, is essential to your spiritual progress. You should get more frustrated. There should be more angst inside of you, more desire, more yearning. 
The answer is not less. The second thing, you won't progress unless you have a devotion. Paul in here writes, he says, Brothers, uh, I, do, I don't consider that I've made this my own, but one thing I do. I don't consider that I've attained this, that I've completely matured. I know there's a day coming where I'll be glorified, but that day is not this day. I haven't obtained these things, but one thing I do. And one thing is a really important phrase in Scripture. Jesus, when he was talking to a, a self-righteous, rich, young ruler, said this, one thing you lack. This guy had everything. And Jesus says, there's one thing that you're missing. When he's talking to Martha, who you remember to be the busy sister of Mary, he said, one thing is needed. A man who had received his sight because Jesus healed him, yelled, this is what he screamed. This is awesome. He says, one thing I know. One thing I know. David wrote in the Psalms, one thing I have desired from the Lord. Can I say this? You're involved in too many things. You're involved in too many things. And the secret to progress is to be focused on one thing. The key to progress in your life is to zero in on one thing. And I think part of the things that, part of, the, part of what's keeping us from growing, part of what's keeping us from progressing, maturing, is that we're involved in too many things and not focused on the one thing not concentrating on the one thing. You've got to be devoted, says Paul, to run this Christian race. He says repeatedly, I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm striving. You can see that he's devoted to this one thing. I, I was thinking about this this week because this is a, a problem of mine. So I don't necessarily want to preach this to you as if you need to get this straight. Um, but if you don't learn to say no, you'll eventually lose your ability to say yes. Saying no is really difficult for me. It takes a ton of faith to actually say no for me. But if you don't learn to say no, there won't be any spiritual progress in your life. It takes a lot of faith to say no. Nehemiah, if you remember, he was rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. He had this really noble task in front of him. And people kept trying to distract him. And this is what he said to him. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down right now. They wanted to have meetings. Lots of meetings. This is awesome. This is my life as a pastor. Let's have a meeting, you know. I don't want to have a meeting. I'm doing a great work right now. This meeting is in the way of it, you know. Shout out to the financial team. Actually, I love you. If it was real, I would never have said it out loud in church. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul in this passage, Paul, he's not only an athlete in this passage, I really believe that he's an assessor. It's like he's an accountant. He keeps saying, well, I count this and I count that. And I'm weighing this against uh, knowing Christ. And I'm actually looking at this and weighing this and thinking about this in light of eternity. 
And it's like he's counting, constantly weighing, constantly trying to figure out what he values. And you can't be an athlete until you first become some sort of an accountant and figure out what it is that you're pressing into, what exactly you're going for. Paul's constantly weighing things. What do I value? And I don't know that we have that. I know I don't function as an accountant. Uh, but, but Paul was constantly assessing things value so that he could get rid of, no, I'm getting rid of that. That's in the way. That's not as valuable as this call that's on my life to mature, to grow, to progress. And I wanted to ask this morning, like, what do you, what do you value? Not, not like what do, you, what do you say you value, but what do you value? Like we talked about earlier, like we really value looking good. We're really devoted to it. Do you really value your family like you say you value your family? Or do you value your comfort more than you value your family? Do you really value your life, your walk with Christ? Or would you rather be right? And would you, would you rather look good? I know following Jesus is going to make me look stupid, so I'm going to say I'm doing it, but I'm definitely not going to put it out there. The, the, there's, there's power in concentration. When we concentrate on the one thing, there's power that comes from that. There's power in, uh, in, in intense focus. I was thinking about this like, a, like a, a magnifying glass takes the rays of the sun and can focus those rays in such a way as to start a fire. So we know the power of focus. We know the power of concentration. The more intensely focused light is, the more power it has. We can do amazing stuff with laser beams. Amazing stuff. Cut diamonds, all kinds of stuff. I don't know what stuff, but stuff. You can do amazing <laughs> stuff. I'm an expert on it because I'm an encyclopedia. Laser beams. Let me tell you about laser beams. This is the first time, by the way, that I've ever talked about laser beams in the sermon. This is great. It's a good day to be here. Uh, laser beams, they differ from regular light in two ways. And the first is that regular light goes in every direction at once. You turn on the light and it goes all over the place. Laser is gathered up and put out in a direction. The second thing is that regular light operates on a number of different frequencies, but laser light is pushed and pressed forcefully to operate on one frequency. And this is the power of intense focus. When you take something that's kind of on a broad spectrum and you gather it up and you point it towards one thing specifically, you press it and you force it to be on one frequency. Paul's talking about being a Christian here, and he's, he's actually saying to us, like, I've gathered up my whole life, and I've pointed it towards one thing. And that's why there was impact that came from Paul's life. That's why we're still talking about him today. He wasn't so caught up in the many things. He had gathered everything up. And he had pointed it towards one end, which was Jesus. 
to know him, to mature, to be like him, to grow in his walk. If you're going to grow and you're going to mature and you're going to progress, you, you need dissatisfaction, you need devotion um, to, to the one thing, but you also need determination. Like you, you have to be determined. Like we said earlier, sanctification is no like walk in the park. Paul, Paul says repeatedly, I press, I press. Saying uh, later on, I strain, I'm straining for this. There needs to be a determination in you if you're going to grow spiritually. This word I press is a really interesting one because the same, the same term is used in verse 6 when Paul says, I persecuted the church. The same Greek term is used and translated, I press, and the same term is used up in verse 6 and says, I persecute. And I started thinking, well, what kind of word could be translated both press and persecute? What does this Greek word mean that Paul's using? And it actually means to pound. And Paul says, I used to, I used to persecute the church. I used to gather up the church and pound it towards death. And now I've gathered up my whole life and I'm pounding it towards one end, which is Jesus Christ. I used to beat the body of Christ, and now I beat my own body towards this end that is Christ. There has to be a determination in us. The last thing I'm going to say, share, uh, is that there needs to be some sense of direction in your life. In order to make progress, in order to grow, in order to mature, there has to be direction. Paul was zeroed in on something. And it wasn't just that he had direction, he actually had a destination in mind. Sanctification is a lot of work. And if you believe that there's nothing after this life, I wouldn't encourage you to do it. If you believe that this is it, and at the end of this life we cease to exist that I would encourage you to do what Paul says to do, which is let your stomach be your God. Do whatever you have an appetite to do. Do that. If this is it, if this is the end of it all, if when you die you cease to exist, I would let your God be your stomach and do what you have an appetite for. And I would set your mind on earthly things. I would, I would be consumed with material things. But Paul says to this group, this isn't it for us. There's a reason that we press, a reason that we strive. Our citizenship, he says to the Philippians, is in heaven. Peter says that we're aliens, we're strangers, we're pilgrims. And the secret to the progress that Paul made was that he had an eternal perspective. I love, I love when he's talking about his direction. He actually talks about maturity, and he says two things. He actually says this is what maturity is. 
He said, to forget what's behind and to press on. This is what it means to be mature, to forget what's behind and to press on. And using kind of the, whatever, the, the image of athletics or a race, he's saying, I'm pushing on towards this prize, this destination. And of course, it would be ridiculous if anyone chose to run a race looking backwards. It wouldn't just be, uh, you know, it'd be probably downright dangerous for someone to run a race while looking backwards. In fact, I thought about taking, who would say, like, you're the fastest person in this room? Like, really, like... Like, you ran track. Come on, this is like an open, we're an honest church. If you ran track, you can raise your hand. The fastest guy. And then who would say, I'm, I'm the slowest? Like, I, I literally am the slowest guy in this room. I would, I, if two people had a race, one looking backwards and running backwards against the slowest person in this room, I would take the one looking forward over the one looking backwards. It's ridiculous to run that way. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm focused on this. I'm forgetting what's behind me. And I want to qualify this because I feel like this passage gets abused a lot. When people say, ah, forgetting what's behind me, I'm moving on. Well, that was behind me, I'm pressing on, you know? Paul, to forget anything in the Bible does not mean to fail to remember when, when God says to you, he'll forget your sins and remember them no more, is not God volunteering to have like a bad memory. He doesn't forget your sin, actually. What it means when he says, I'll forget your sins, is that he's going to no longer be influenced or affected by it. He's saying, I'm no longer going to hold your sin against you. Your sins are no longer going to affect your standing with me. Your, your, your past, when God says, I forget your sins, will not influence his attitude towards you. But he doesn't forget. Like Paul, he actually says here, he actually says, uh, forgetting what's behind and pressing on. He just went into detail about what was behind. In the passage we studied two weeks ago, he talked all about his past. Everything. So let me tell you, how do you know if you've forgotten your past, you can talk about it? The people that are saying, I don't want to go there, I don't want to talk about that, are people that have not forgotten their past. The people that have forgotten it are the people that are talking about it. Without zing on it. You know that like mojo, that like... When someone starts to tell a story, you're like, and they're like, they're even telling you, oh, I'm, I'm completely over it. But then they're like, and then my dad, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I just, I just want you to know that this passage isn't licensed for you just to go, oh, forgetting what is behind me. I was raped, molested, forgetting what is behind me. There's a divorce, forgetting what is behind me, I press on. Uh, this isn't, Paul's not condoning, condoning avoidance here. <clears throat> you know that you've forgotten the past when you can talk about the past and there isn't that little, that little ending. You're not going to be a good athlete. You're not going to run the race. You're not going to finish the race unless you realize you're also an alien. But this ain't it. Paul is the accountant. 
I'm counting this, I'm figuring this out, weighing this, do I value this? No. Is it worth anything compared to knowing Christ? No. Okay, I've got it. Now I'm going to press, I'm going to push and strain. I like what I got. But you're not going to continue to push. You're not going to continue to press. You're not going to continue to strain unless you realize that there's more than what's here. You're an alien. Paul reminds you your citizenship is in heaven. Your mind should be on things above. Paul teaches repeatedly that we should view the present in light of the future, right? That these momentary sufferings are purchasing for us an eternal glory. Paul teaches us to look beyond the sacrifice to the reward. There's incentives here. There's payoff here. Constantly reminding us to bear the cross while anticipating the crown. There's incentives for us to run this race well. I'll end with this psalm. Psalm 39 says this, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom, in vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose, without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. We run, we press, we strive. We do it with dissatisfaction. We do it with devotion. There's got to be some sense of determination. But we also have a direction and we also have a destination. This isn't just in vain. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we want to echo Paul's words, and we want to take hold of you, because you've taken Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.